Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee, by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles when away. Arrived, the they found the telephone and electricity line here described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Good morning. Murder. Sometimes police get it wrong. There's no sugarcoating it in this particular case. On April 8th, 1899, a man was born who would, as an adult, be responsible for the deaths of a number of people. Three of his victims and their subsequent trials would go down in history when John Christie, the serial killer, was the star witness that sent his victim's husband to the gallows for her murder. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. John Christie was born on April 8, 1899, in Nothroam near Halifax. He had a troubled relationship with almost everyone in his family. His father was a distant man who showed no emotion, and John was frequently bullied by his mother and older sisters. He was described as an odd child who kept to himself and was unpopular amongst his peers, yet a bright child with an IQ of 128. 
1911, John's grandfather, a feared authoritarian, died after a long battle with an illness. John stated that seeing the strong, feared man lying dead gave him a sense of power and well-being. Later in life, John discovered that he had a problem with impotence and could only have sex successfully with sex workers. This was a lasting problem that would span the rest of his life and play a role in his crimes. He joined the army in 1916, but after a mustard gas attack that left him hospitalized for a month in 1918, he was demobilized. He joined the Royal Air Force in 1923, but was discharged not even a year later. He married in May of 1920, but his problems with impotence put strain on the marriage, as did his visits with sex workers. They separated after only four years. By 1923, John was newly single and moved to London. There, he spent the next decade in and out of prison for various offenses. After release in 1934, he went back to his ex-wife, Ethel, and the two reunited. Their reunion seemed to set John straight. On paper, that is. He no longer committed his petty crimes and stopped his frequent incarcerations. But he did keep his habit of regular visits with sex workers. In 1937, the couple moved to the top floor of a building in Notting Hill, and John began working as a war reserve police officer, despite his criminal record. It was there that he met a woman named Gaddis Jones, and the two began an affair. This carried on until mid-1943, when her husband returned from war, found John in his home with his wife, and assaulted him. With his mistress gone, John went back to his previous means for sex, which is how he met 21-year-old Ruth Yerst. He invited her to come back to his home, Ethel was away visiting family, and after sex, he impulsively strangled the woman while she still lay in his bed. He then stored her body in the floorboard of his living room before burying her in the garden the next night. At the end of 1943, he left his job as a special constable and began working as a clerk in a radio factory. This is where he met Muriel Amelia Eady. On October 7, 1944, he invited the woman back to his home with the promise of a special mixture that he had that would cure her bronchitis. All she had to do was inhale the mixture from a jar with a tube inserted in the top, and she would be cured of her ailment. In actuality, this mixture was Friar's Balsam, which John used to disguise the smell of domestic gas. Once she inhaled, John inserted a second tube into the jar that contained the gas, and soon Muriel was unconscious. He raped her, strangled her to death, and then buried her body next to Ruth. This would become his M.O., rendering them unconscious with gas and then raping his victims as he strangled them to death. In Easter of 1948, the Evans couple, Timothy and Beryl, moved into the same building that John Christie and his wife lived in. The pair, in October, welcomed a daughter, Geraldine. In 1949, Timothy Evans called the police to inform them that his wife was dead. When they arrived to search his residence, the one shared with the Christie's, they failed to find her body. Eventually, the body of Geraldine, Beryl, and a 16-week-old fetus was found in the wash house. Both mother and daughter were strangled, and Beryl assaulted just before death. Timothy Evans pretty quickly pointed the finger at neighbor John Christie, stating he killed her during a botched abortion. But after some pressing, Timothy Evans, according to police, confessed. 
He was charged with the murder, but then withdrew his confession and, once again, pointed the finger at John. Timothy Evans was put on trial for the murder, during which John was a key witness, and he was found guilty and hanged for the crime on March 9, 1950. Something worth noting. During the search for Beryl and Geraldine's body, the police somehow missed the bodies of John's two other victims on the small property. John had not only gotten away with murder, but someone else was hanged for his crimes with his testimony in court. Police were so desperate to find someone guilty, they overlooked massive inconsistencies and pieces of evidence. Three years passed with no more victims. That was until December 14, 1952, when John Christie strangled his own wife in their bed. He explained her disappearance to those who asked by saying she was sick or visiting relatives. He resigned from his job and paid for things by selling Ethel's jewelry and furniture before forging her signature and draining her bank account. Over the course of two months in 1953, John murdered three more women whom he invited back to his home. Kathleen Maloney, Rita Nelson, who was six months pregnant at the time, and Hectorina McLennan. Their bodies were stored in a small alcove in his kitchen and covered with wallpaper. On March 20th, 1953, John moved from the home where all of his victims were stored and fraudulently sublet it to a couple who paid him for the place. One day, the landlord let a tenant use the kitchen in John's old apartment. And on March 24th, he attempted to insert brackets into the wall that used to be the alcove. When he peeled back the wallpaper, he was greeted with the bodies of three women. John Christie was arrested on March 31st and originally only admitted to the murders of the three women whose bodies had been found in the wall. But once informed about the remains found in the garden, he gave the full story of his crimes. He also admitted to the murder of Beryl Evans, confirming that Timothy Evans died an innocent man, though he denied he killed Geraldine. In the end, John Christie was only charged with the murder of his wife, Ethel. His trial began on June 22, 1953, in the same court in which he helped send Timothy Evans to death. He was found guilty and hanged on July 15, 1953. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on April 10th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, Easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again and have a wonderful day. 
Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.